What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, the Big Five is almost over. One more matchup against Temple in the next few weeks. But for now, we've got a lot of those games underway. And we are getting into maybe one of the best weeks of Villanova basketball so far in this young season. I wish they just finished it off with the last game being right there. Would it, doesn't it make sense? Just put Temple in there, but no, we're going to have Temple scattered here in at the end of December. But as you said, huge month here, Nova going to the garden and then going down to Texas. This is one of the biggest weeks of the season. And we are so pumped to, uh, to talk about it with everyone. Yeah. It comes as a, a nice break from the big five right into the big 12 action. I mean, it literally couldn't be together. I am unfortunately not making it to the garden because it's a Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Mm. But of course, we will be watching it at home. But Nova stays at six in the AP poll. Purdue moves up to number one. First overall. time in program history, I believe. Really cool to see that makes Nova's loss look even better as well. And they, the Cats move up to six and two on the season. So we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for today. As this episode comes out, it will be the morning of the Syracuse game, but we are going to recap the St. Joe's game from the weekend. We'll get into a little bit of what we learned from the, from the big five games that we've had so far. And then we will preview Syracuse and get into our big East whip around as usual. And we've got some, some special questions about the Syracuse game. So it feels like an eternity ago, but let's talk about St. <laughs> Joe's. It, it does. Also important to note, too, with rankings coming out, the first net rankings from the NCAA mm. were released on Monday morning, and Villanova clocked in at number five, which is very impressive. You might not think that Nova would be that high, especially just one quad one win so far, but they're really helped by the road wins because remember those games at the Palestra are considered road games, so that's kind of helped Nova get higher up there. But it's very early, but to see Nova all the way up at five at the start is a good sign. Yeah, it really is. And and there are so many teams in the top 10 with records that don't immediately signal greatness. The six and twos, Gonzaga now has two losses. Uh oh. But all these losses are against such high caliber teams because these non conference schedules are so uber competitive. So it's cool to see all that shuffling. I think there's going to be a lot more shuffling in the future. But I think everybody should be happy about five and where Nova's at right now. And if they can rack up two wins against Syracuse and Baylor, that net ranking's only going to go higher and higher. Oof, that would be one heck of a week if they're able right? to pull them both off. I was thinking, too, I'm pretty sure you and I both predicted that they would have three losses across the non-conference schedule. I want to say I was two. You were two. Because okay. I, I think I, I had them losing to Baylor, actually, and you had them beating Baylor. Does that sound right? I did have them beating Baylor. I had them stupidly beating Purdue, not understanding the pure power of this Boilermaker team. <laughs> the 7-4 Zach Eady. Yeah, Come that's on, my Pat. fault there. <laughs> uh, so we are we're pretty much in on that though, and it's gonna take a lot of a lot of power for them to to remain undefeated for the rest of the stretch, but it'll be fun to watch no matter what. Yeah. Okay, so let's go, let's get into St. Joe's first. 81 to 52 win. The bench players came off of the bench at the end of the game as Villanova really uh, flew away with this one, pun intended. I have a few positives, and the first is I wish we could have seen Taylor Funk at his best. Mm. But the reason why we didn't see that, I really do believe he's one of the best pure shooters in the Big Five, is because Justin Moore 
played the most stifling defense on him that we've seen all season long. He limited Funk. Not even limited isn't the right word in this situation. He just eliminated Funk, who had zero points during the entire game. Wow, I can't believe you went there because I had that down as a what we learned is going to Justin Moore and how good he's been on defense. It wasn't just the St. Joe's game. He has been much better on defense this season. I think we especially saw that this week. And I also thought it was really important to see that this week from Justin because, you know, the stroke wasn't there a lot during the games. It definitely wasn't there in the first half against St. Joe's, of course, exploded for 16 in the second half. But to your point defensively, Taylor Funk is a very, very good scorer. He's averaging 15 points a game. He had 29 against Georgetown, of course, Mm -hmm. Big East opposition there comes out of the pavilion with zero points i mean i don't think we can stress enough how important that was for yes villanova was going to win this game they are much better than st joe's they've won the last 10 st joe's hasn't won since 2011 by an average of 22 points in that span so yes nova has dominated the hawks the hawks are dead the hawk is dead yet again but (laughs) the the taylor funk thing is exactly where i think you go to with st joe's because that's their guy you know that that's the one you look at as being their main score. I know Jordan Hall is a very good player as well. We saw that as he put up 22, but Justin Moore's progression on defense is so important for the ceiling of what this team can achieve. Yeah. And you hit a really good point too, about how the offense was struggling and more in particular was really struggling on offense throughout the stretch of games last week. And you have, uh, you and I have talked about this offline. I think it is worth bringing it up here in this setting. There has been a lot of negativity about basketball. This last week, and I hope that this game silenced some people's concerns, not just because of the score, not just because of the 10 year dominance that you showed. It's because Colin Gillespie showed up on offense once again. Justin Moore showed up on defense. Eric Dixon looked really good on both sides of the court. Brandon Slater was efficient from the floor. It seemed like the players got back into their rhythm a little bit. And when I say the word rhythm, the thing I immediately think of is how out of rhythm they were because of the illness. And mm-hmm. I know I'm, I'm scrambling as well because all of these things are what I wanted to talk about with what we learned, but it's just so hard to view these big five games when half of the team is dealing with flu-like symptoms. You can't have negativity when you don't know who's healthy and who's not. I thought this St. Joe's game was a really good re- reset. The defense looked good. And the offense, more importantly, looked back to normal. Yeah, listen, this is not a perfect team, but this is a very, very good Villanova basketball team. And I agree that I think there's been a ton of negativity lately around this team that I'm not sure is fully founded. Yes, they go through stretches where things don't look perfect. Yes, we know all about the bench depth. You know, what happens if Colin Gillespie has an off night? Those are all fair questions, and it's okay to bring that up. But this is still an incredibly talented Villanova team that really made easy work of the big five this weekend, Mm -hmm. as we've seen in the past couple of years, you know, sometimes the big five can come up and bite you. And this Villanova team did not allow that. So I'm totally with you that I don't think that I think it's understandable to have questions about this Villanova team. I'm not sure I would go as far as a lot of the things I was reading this week about, you know, the, the weaknesses and how far can this team really go? Yeah. And questions lingering after 15 point wins. I I definitely, agree with you in all those things. And and one of the numbers I wanted to highlight is how much the shooting came back. They shot 52% from three against St. Joe's. And then on the flip side, they limited St. Joe's to just 22% from three. Those are the type of numbers that we've been expecting all year long. And I do think you have to take a grain of salt because it is from the palestra and at, at home, you actually brought this up. 
the fin was rocking. That was awesome to see that home environment. It felt like it'd been forever since the cats were at the fin. It the had cluster been. is a tough environment. The big five is still really competitive. And they were there were almost rookie mistakes in some of these games in terms of the turnovers and the bad shot selection and miss- missing free throws. Everybody got back to normal on Sunday against St. Joe's. And I think like this is one of the oldest Dodgers ever winning cures, everything. It quiets all the questions and hopefully people are feeling a little better, but the bottom line is they went three, and zero. they won all three games. Doesn't matter how pretty they were. And this team is just fine. You know that I can be a little negative from time to time in in assessment of things. Yeah, I know what's it never. Uh, But I I just, I don't believe that a lot of that negativity really was founded with this team. Was it the prettiest week we've ever seen of Villanova basketball? No, it wasn't, but they were able to, I don't even think saying grind out wins is fair for what they did to LaSalle and St. Joe's and, and being able to take care of business against Penn. It, you know, it, we're talking about how good this team is. Now we take it on the opposite way. Cause I just, I think we have to approach this Billy Lang, you know, quoted after the game saying, I believe it's the best team Jay Wright's had in 20 years. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with actually, no, I'm not going to say, I'm not sure I agree with that. I do not agree with that because I just think back to the 2018 juggernaut. There's one of the greatest college basketball teams to ever grace the hardwood. But I think that just goes to the respect that is thrown towards this Villanova team and the coaching and the players and the ability that's on it. I am so disappointed because that was going to be my last oh, thing. Oh, no. I'm we so learned. sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, Listen, man. you took my Justin Moore, so I had to go with that. Yeah, you got back at me. I had that exact quote. It, 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 I believe it's the best team he's had in 20 years. It might not overall be the best, the most talented. To me, that's a perfect team. Very high praise from yeah, Billy Lang. A little Again, too high for me. But <laughs> I'm not sure if that's fully founded. Again, I also thought of the 2018 team right away. But you bring up a really good point in the respect level. And also... This team could have a bad shooting night and still turn the ball over less than six times. That's not a fluke. That's a exceptionally high IQ team that doesn't hurt itself. Everyone has off shooting nights, but this team still is so smart, knows how to play the game so well that they're never going to be making stupid mistakes. And that's Mm -hmm. why, that's why Billy Lang says that because They're led by Colin Gillespie, who is just the epitome of Villanova basketball and all the role players around him. And this team can, again, I was just going to say grind out wins, but that's not true. 72-46, 71-56, and 81-52. Those are the three final scores. That's not grinding it up. They haven't had to grind out a win yet this season. They've won pretty in every game that they've won, including that Tennessee one. So that's actually something I'm going to want to watch as we move into, of course, a tough week this week in conference play looming is for this team to try and show an ability to grind out those closer games. So certainly something to look for as we move forward. And why I think maybe Billy Lang kind of went to that is that Villanova dominated this game for all but four or five minutes in the first half towards the Mm -hmm. end of it when St. Joe's went on that 11-0 run. Otherwise, this was pretty much a non-contest for most of it, which I I think is really important. And and as you said, I also do think it is a product of them finally returning home for the first time since I believe November 16th was the date of that Howard game. I thought that was really important for the guys to be able to get back into that environment. Yep, and hopefully getting healthier too. Obviously, Caleb Daniels didn't play, Mm -hmm. but hopefully that illness is finally starting to go away. Uh, I only have a few more specific bullets about this game before we get into the larger thing, which I'm sure it will kind of leak into itself anyway. Already has. <laughs> I tweeted this and I will stand by it. 
it was another tough game for the Gillespie isn't an All-American crowd. Yeah. Gillespie's back. You and I have talked about potential scenarios might be the right word, but maybe there's a little bit of a fear surrounding that leg and his, his inability to drive and kick, which is what has made him so good for the past couple of years. That's back in full fledged. The touch is back. He's been able to shoot from way back. It's, it's all coming together from Colin. We know he's the glue guy. Every Villanova fan knows that his stats don't have to light up the box score for him to make an incredibly important impact on the floor, but it's just nice to see him score 23 points. It's just nice to see him shoot four for eight. uh, I'm I'm sorry. Five for seven from three. It's good to see that because we know how good Colin Gillespie can be. So this was a cool point on the broadcast. And I, I find it worth noting here as we talk about him, when we often think about players and making a jump, you know, we think of that freshman to sophomore, maybe a sophomore to junior. Hell, we've seen it with Brandon Slater going from junior to senior here. Yep. You don't often think of the senior to fifth year graduate student type player, but Gillespie has done it. And where you've seen it first and foremost is the three-point shooting because Colin Gillespie has turned himself into an elite three-point shooter he is shooting 47 percent from beyond the arc that's incredible Sadiq Bay numbers it's the best of his career uh he's only shot he's or he's never shot 40 percent before he was 39 percent as a freshman of course those three-point attempts was nowhere close to what he put up the rest of his career uh it's a 10-point increase basically to what it was a year ago where he's at 38 percent or nine point if we're going to go with the rounding for it. Uh, that is so impressive. His turnovers are down. He's gotten the points up. Colin Gillespie has found a way coming off a major knee injury to make another jump. And I'm not sure that we can, you know, I don't think anyone can look over that because it is of course, so key to what this team is. He is everything for what this team is. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly well said. I'll just emphasize some of the things you said coming off of a major knee injury And then also coming back to run it back with this team, to Mm -hmm. be the leader on this team, to mentor the young guys below him, the Longinos, even the Antoines, who was learning from the bench, the Chris Archidiakonos, all of it just just goes into how good of a a character he is, how good of a leader he is. And finally, it's starting to show up in the box scores. I I believe Clon Gillespie will be an All-American. I think he's the best point guard in the country. I love it. I listen. I think he's going to be right there for all American consideration as well. And yep. you know, the, the hope is that he can put himself in for that wooden award as well. I, I know there's a ton of great players in the country right now. Your Paolo Bancheros, your Drew Timmies that we see kind of on an everyday basis and how good they are. But you know, why, why wouldn't Colin be able to put himself at least in the conversation there? I'm not sure he's going to win it, but uh, getting uh, receiving votes would be pretty cool. Yeah. And the way to receive votes is to play the way he did against Penn and St. Joe's against Syracuse and Baylor, because and that's down the stretch. Exactly. That's the question for me, for me now. We, it's great to see him beat up against these lower teams, but we didn't see that version against UCLA. We didn't see that version even against Tennessee and Purdue. So now the question is, can he translate it? And obviously the answer is yes. It just mm-hmm. hasn't come yet. No, you're definitely right. And you talk about the lower teams and I'm interested in in what you think here. We talk about St. Joe's. 
it was rough watching them on offense. I, mm-hmm. I, I hate talking about this because yes, it is a, you know, a former Jay Wright guy and we, we never want to say bad things about the family, right. Especially for Villanova. But I was really confused about what St. Joe's game plan was coming into this offensively. There wasn't cutting, there wasn't screens, there wasn't running guys, you know, to try and find shots. It felt like a pickup game of everyone just go out there. We'll get the ball to funk. He'll shoot some threes and we'll see what happens. It was very, very strange in my mind. What did you think? The bottom line to me is that they just don't have enough talent to do that. That's what I was thinking the whole time. A team like Villanova can do that and make it shots. (laughs) And, And they don't do that because they're better coached. I agree with you. I was thinking the same thing. If Taylor Funk has a better day, I think we talk about this a little bit differently, but they just don't have the talent to not have an offensive game plan where they're making shots for themselves. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any concerted effort to do anything other than throw a look up. And you can't do that against, and you can't do that to try and keep up with an offense like Villanova's. And now at this point of the season, you can't do that against an improving defense like Villanova has. Mm, I love that you hit the improving defense because it was certainly a point I wanted to hit a little later on. Uh, Villanova's up to 45th in Kempom's yeah. ranking, which is huge. Not bad. Huge. It's a big improvement. And, you know, the most they've allowed the last three games, yes, it's against the Big Five. I totally get that, is 56 points. So I don't it, care. I don't care that it's against the Big Five. That's yeah. a big deal. Well, we talked about what they did against Penn and how they completely stymied anything interior-wise. Here, the three-point and, and perimeter defense was outstanding from Nova. You are seeing improvement from this team, and I, I think that's huge because remember the first couple games where we talked about this defense? It was bad. It was straight bad, and it has gotten a lot better. Yeah, and that's why these big five games also came at a really good time because they got to reset, they got to experiment. I think I think we did see that experiment. We wondered if Jay would throw out the three-court quarter press, if he mm-hmm. would throw out some of the, the, the zone sets or the man-to-man. They did do some experimentation, and I think they're looking much better going into the last non-conference games and into conference play than they did even two weeks ago when yep. we were stressed about how this unit looked. Very stressed. Very, very stressed, but yeah. no, I think that's a great point. So they'll get the, the real test tonight. Obviously I had one more point talking about improvement and this specific game might not represent what we've learned so far. <laughs> I'll say that, but I thought this was a really important game for Chris Arch and yep. a lot of it came because he was the main guy off the bench because Caleb didn't play. Like I mentioned I thought he handled the ball really well. He hit two threes. That's always good for the confidence. He ended up playing 26 minutes and he had eight points. I think that's great for him. These games were good for him to get back on track defensively, even if that's only because the talent just isn't as good as the sum of the talent he's been up against. And I think we've talked about that enough about how he just can't keep up against some Mm -hmm. of these really fast guards. Nobody in the big five had that type of play. But I think Arch looked the best on offense and defense against St. Joe's as he had all year. Uh, the, those are all points that I had written down. So I find this very funny how we go through this episode and we are clearly <laughs> on the same page here. So I'm not going to reiterate everything. But just to give you a comparison for Arch, as you said, he played 26 minutes. That's two less than Jermaine Samuels. He was mm-hmm. really out there against St. Joe's. I, I do think that's a big deal. And I think he hit it on the head about defense. He It was probably his best defensive game of the season. I don't think that's a coincidence, being that St. Joe's just didn't have the athletes to try and use, exploit quickness there. But as I said, I'm not going to repeat everything. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, exploiting quickness is the biggest thing. And that's what his biggest weakness has been. So one one point off of that, 
the other big hot button issue this entire season so far has been the rotation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people should come away from this game against St. Joe's knowing that Jay Wright has a plan and he's a good enough coach where we should be trusting that anyways, but you don't play Chris Arch for two less minutes than Jermaine Samuels. If you don't have a plan, I understand that he still can't be trusted against some of the Baylor guards that we're going to see the mayors and the flagglers. I understand that the Matthew Myers and the flagglers, excuse me, but I think it's a really big deal that he put Arch out there for as much as he did. And there is a plan in the future for him to be into the rotation more, even if it's not because of his talent, it's to give his guys some rest. And that's what the issue may or may not have been in some of the other games, which we've talked about at length so far. (laughs) It's a fair point. The devil's advocate is that Caleb Daniels was out and he needed needed to because he won't play the freshman, which the won't play the freshman isn't entirely fair because Jordan Longino did uh, rack up 11 minutes. So they were all in the second half, something I found a little strange. Uh, mm-hmm. Trey Patterson pulled seven out there. So I, I wouldn't go that far because his hand was kind of forced here to, to play arch that much with knowing he didn't want to, or doesn't want to fully trust those freshmen yet. So I think that's certainly a huge part of it, but the greater point does stand that I think Archie Diakono does have a role to play. Yes. And I'm just going to stick to my point that it's really hard to take away anything from these through games rotation minutes wise, when we don't know a hundred percent, certainly who was suffering from what it, it really was the worst timing. Possible I know, for I Jordan know Longino to get, the Ugh, that's what I keep kept thinking about too, because even these 11 minutes in the second half, I'm just thinking that he's obviously still dealing with something because Jay had to have played him beforehand. If he was 100% healthy, those first two games of the week against LaSalle and Penn were just the perfect opportunity to ingrain him because who knows how much we're going to see any of the freshmen as we head into Syracuse. And I wouldn't bet on them getting game time against Baylor for what we've seen. So uh, just rough timing for him. Yes. We know Villanova is all about development and plan and all that when it comes to the younger players, but this was certainly an opportunity and you just circumstances didn't allow for it. I know it's such a shame because we, been talking about this stretch for so long to experiment and we didn't get that which is unfortunate but nothing we can do and we will have a lot more to say about Baylor and the game plan for Baylor on Thursday when we do a a full preview of that game certainly I don't I don't think I have anything else specific from St. Joe's do you no that's good for me okay I have some cool Colin stats as we talk about what we learned I love it and we said, I think we said everything we needed to say. Colin Gillespie is a star and he's proven it over the last three games. The question is now, can he prove it against some, some serious competition, but just to, to look at the numbers so far. And I think this signifies a, a larger theme, which is that he's getting more comfortable and he's showing his true colors. First six games, he averaged 15 and a half points, just over four assists. He shot 43% from three which is still very good numbers, but not Mm -hmm. the preseason All-American numbers that people expected from Gillespie. And part of that was because he was only seven for 20 inside the arc from two-point range, less than 50%. And we've said it ad nauseum, that's where he elevated his game when he was able to drive to the basket. But in these last two games against Penn and against St. Joe's, he's combined for 49 points, seven for 12 on two-pointers, and nine for 15 from three-point range. So he's elevating every single point of his game. And that's why at this point, he's almost unstoppable on offense because he can drive, he can put a shot up in the paint, he can kick from the paint, and he can also shoot a three from deep range. 
Yeah, touched on the three-point shooting there, and I think it really is key to, A, his development as a player, and and B, how how much this team can achieve based on what he can hit from deep. But to your point on the two-point accuracy as well, he's up to 44% from inside the arc, which is key, especially with the way that he plays. He does take a lot of two-point shots now, as we've seen the last uh, couple weeks or so, with whether it be, you know, getting guys to jump with the the jump stop and then fading away or or Mm -hmm. coming into the post. He is starting to take a lot more of those shots inside the arc. And I think it's key that he's obviously hitting a ton of them now. He had some nasty fadeaways. He did. And this he's week. doing a great wow. job with body control. Yeah. And that's not, again, he's coming off an MCL tear to have that much trust in the leg is no easy feat. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. So it's, it's huge. What, what it sounds like for me, and it's what we talked about earlier is this is just a player becoming more and more comfortable returning to game action as he gets back from an injury. Yeah, I love that point about the jump. It can still happen even when he's in his fourth into his fifth year. It can I still g- happen. I guess so. So you can teach an old dog new tricks because yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't have expected it, but we've seen it this year. He's raised his game. Yeah, totally agree. Awesome. I've got some positive and negative. I'll go with the positive first. Probably the biggest positive from this week when you think about it, Demir Cosby Roundtree's back. Yeah. And just, just on a personal level, how awesome that is for a guy that has been such a cornerstone of this program for the last couple of years. He locked, he logged, excuse me, 19 minutes this week, six rebounds, handful of handful of assists. I'm getting too excited. So I can't speak, <laughs> uh, did, did have that layup in there as well. I think what you're seeing from Demir is, you know, he's doing a good job moving his feet underneath. What I've also seen from him is an ability to kick out after getting offensive rebounds. We've seen it a couple times just in the, in the first few games, which is really exciting. And we talked about it on the last Tuesday's episode where I wasn't sure if Demir Cosby Rauncher was really going to be playing in games after we saw him there. Now we've seen him in three, you know, can we start to think of him as part of this rotation? I'm, I'm more interested to see how that body continues to hold up, especially against that tougher competition, but to make Cosby Roundtree's back. And I think we can all just be really thrilled and take a second to, to congratulate him on getting back on the floor. Yeah. And appreciate what that recovery must've looked like for him to be in good enough shape to log 19 minutes across that week. That's, that's really, really cool. And so awesome for him on a personal level, like you said, I think this. I think still we can't go any farther than asking: Might he be a weapon? I, I would be agree. absolutely floored if we saw him against Syracuse or Baylor. But maybe he continues to condition. He continues to to be in practice and log minutes. Maybe we see him in conference. Racking up assists as a big man is always awesome Whoa. to see. It's nice having that height. It's nice having him win some matchups on the offensive glass. He's definitely not hurting. He's only adding value every time he's in there. And you can't necessarily say that about all the freshmen at every single point in the season so far. I'm just curious to see what the trajectory will look like for him. If we'll, if we'll continue to see a minute uptick, if we'll see him at all, once the guys get all healthy, there are so many question marks. I wish we knew. I wish we had a clearer I, view of what this will look like. And we know Villanova does not like to give away exactly. any information exactly. on players. So we kind of find out in real time during those games. But one thing for Demir is, you know that Jay Wright trusts him. So it's yeah. not about trust. It's about physically how much is he going to be able to hold up. So something to watch. Very good point. If I mean, if he was healthy, Jay would have him as, for as many minutes as possible. Mm-hmm. We know that for a fact. Yeah. Yep, for That's sure. A great point. Um, I'll go into my negative then. And then I guess you had one more. I was surprised at times at how many turnovers Villanova had. Oh my God. What are we doing tonight? That was my negative to go to. Oh, this is insane. (laughs) 
All right, well, we could tag team this one. So against LaSalle, they had 11. Against Penn, they had 10. And then against, against St. John's, it was 13. St. Joe's. I, I, I'm sorry, St. Joe's. Nope, you. you're good. Against LaSalle, I attributed it to Ashley Howard's defense and knowing the type of play that will unsettle Villanova's offense. Then you saw the same type of things against Penn. And then it was even worse against St. Joe's. And it was especially worse in the first half. I'll throw it to you first. What were, what were some of your thoughts? So basically how I had gone with it is turnovers, something that this Villanova team has not done at all, really. Right. You know, coming into this week, they were number one in the country in turnover efficiency. They've gone from number one to number eight in a week. Now, listen, being the eighth best team turnover-wise in the country is not a bad thing, but it is a, it is a drop-off, and, and we saw it this week. I, I think you hit it earlier when you said it felt a little lackadaisical in those first two games uh, of the week against LaSalle and Penn. The the turnovers was just sloppy play, in all honesty. And then I think things were more back to normal against St. Joe's. Eric Dixon had six, which is obviously way too much. So you put that down to a more, you know, two or three, and the turnovers look a lot better than they're looking at nine or 10 for the game rather than the 13. I thought Dixon was trying to do a little bit too much. And we've seen it a couple of times where I think Eric Dixon has been fantastic this year. We're very excited to see his development. The turnovers are still a little bit of an issue passing out from the low post. Yeah. I wonder it's kind of the chicken of the egg here. Is Mm -hmm. is he making those mistakes or is he making those mistakes because it's a 30 point game and maybe he feels like he has more leash to try new things. And if that's the case, is that such a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, it's not great to see six turnovers. It's not great to see 13 team turnovers. It's not great to have the team go down from one to eight. But in the grand scheme of things, what difference does it make? When you see the sloppy turnovers, that's something you obviously have to get rid of. Dixon did make a few sloppy turnovers, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for for him to be trying to be a bit more mobile out there. And you, it takes a couple times to get that really under control. Yeah, Dixon's progression has been one of the you know true bright spots of the season. Yeah. I do think the turnovers are something to watch. And where it becomes a problem is just if it starts to become habit for this Villanova yes. team. Because it is three games in a row now where the turnovers have been not great. So we're watching that. It is the lower competition. You know, We'll see if they have more of a lockdown on that as they move into Syracuse and Baylor. Because yeah, if you turn the ball over against Baylor a lot, you're in huge trouble with how they run in transition. Absolutely. And that's why it's been so shocking because their two best turnover games were against their two losses where their two <laughs> losses were UCLA and that crazy. Yeah. The two top five teams in the country. So I don't know if they're playing down to their competition or they have a more relaxed vibe about this. I would think the latter is not a thing because we've talked about how seriously Jay Wright takes these games, but yeah, if you turn the ball over against Baylor, they are absolutely going to exploit that. If they turn the ball over against Syracuse, Syracuse has a good enough offense where they can exploit that. So I don't expect these games, maybe Syracuse is a little bit further, but I expect Baylor to be a possession by possession game and you can't be making mistakes like they did against the big five. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. So there goes one of my negative points for what we learned <laughs> as we, we both hit on that. I did have the bench down there, but I don't think we have to talk about it too much. My point there was that it's still a work in progress in terms of consistency, figuring out who's going to be able to come off the bench and give you points, especially if Caleb Daniels, A, is not there, as we saw on Saturday, or B, is struggling to hit you know from deep, which we saw the first part of the season, but of course that's been much better. So we don't have to go there. I'll go to the positive for what we learned. And this is more of the season as a whole, though, of course, it, it brings in the last three games. 
when this team is having off nights or when players, I should say, are having off night scoring, they still find a way to score the basketball. Their worst output this season is 71 points. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it, it really is impressive what they've been able to do. They're up to, or not up to, they've basically been at this number all season. They're at number four in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency. That's obviously, it's great to see them as one of the best, most efficient scoring teams in the entire country. And uh, I, I just... With guys that we've seen Justin Moore, you know, wasn't as involved in the offense this week. Jermaine Samuels, I thought, was a little passive this week and a lot of times. And they still find a way for their worst offensive performance to be 71 points. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I had a a couple points about Samuels that we could obviously wait till the end to do that, too. Yep. Uh, Only 10 points in the third game. The rest was under 10 points. I think that's concerning. That being said, there is always a guy that steps up. And I think that is such a testament to the chemistry of this team too. And I actually don't think we've talked enough about chemistry this year mm-hmm. and what having Colin and Jermaine back does for these young guys, because it's not worth thinking about what this team would be like if Colin and Jermaine weren't there because they are there. So we don't need to think about that, but Slater doesn't have to be in the position where he has the entire team on his shoulders. Justin Moore doesn't have to be scoring 30 a night just for this offense to be there. Longino can take this as a development year. And Joku, same thing. These guys just work together so well, too, and they know what they're doing. There's so much telepathy between what Moore and Gillespie are doing and who's going to cut and who's going to play off the screen. And we've seen all these things get better as time goes on and we're still not even into conference play. Mm-hmm. That's where it comes into somebody tweeted at me and it was such a good point. And it was about how Dixon has been. I don't even have the adjective to describe how much better he's been than everybody expected him to be. Yeah. Same thing with Slater. And there was still so much negativity this week and big <laughs> five week. When we think about how many positives there are this year, I think people should be really happy about where this team is. And I know I took it into the whole season like you did too, but I really do feel that way. Even when we're angry about how the team played, even when the offensive output is low, they still have not scored less than 70 points. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big deal. I I think you're right. Let's see how everyone's feeling a week from now with (laughs) games against Syracuse and on the road at Baylor. At that point, I might put some, I I might understand if people are angry against the big five. I have a harder time sympathizing with the angry people as, as do I. Yeah. I feel the same way. (laughs) Just underlining that it's a massive week. No, I'm, I'm so excited for it and I'm ready for it. Yeah, me too. I'm ready for some, some really high competition because there's been a lot of good player on the big East and I'm ready for Villanova to get in on it. I'm completely with you. This is, this is going to be fun. All right. Should we use that as our transition? Let's springboard. Let's do it. I am so excited to talk about Syracuse. They're five and three on the season. I'll just tell you their Kempom numbers from the start, and I'm sure we'll get into it more mm-hmm. as we go on. They are the 17th ranked offense, the 156th ranked defense, and they're 86th overall in tempo. Where do you want to start, Pat? It's uh, let me just, I'll give you this and then we'll, we'll see where, where you want to go with it. What's interesting about this Syracuse team is if you talk to me about it a week and a half, I would say, absolutely. You know, this is, this is not going to be even a great game to watch. Villanova should definitely roll this the past week. Things got a little more interesting. I would say, uh, cause if you look at Syracuse, they had a horrible home loss to Colgate where they gave up a hundred. They lost to VCU. They beat Arizona state, a struggling Arizona state. 
by eight and then lost to Auburn by 20. So it, it, a really rough stretch. But in the last seven days, we've seen an over a double overtime win, excuse me, against Indiana, which was one of the crazier games of the season. I'm very glad I got to catch part of that game and an important win against Florida State. So it is a Syracuse team that seemingly is improving as we head into the matchup. And can I say, a Syracuse team that has shown some versatility. Ooh. And never did I think versatility in Syracuse would be in the same sentence. (laughs) Jim Bayham, Syracuse, no way. They stick to their guns. But I think you're right. They've shown some life, and it was not looking good after Colgate. And it was not looking good against Auburn. They needed some life. Yeah, and they got it. So I'll just say some fun facts about some of these wins because I think they're important. That double overtime win over Indiana, Indiana was undefeated at the time. Mm -hmm. They also forced 26 turnovers, Syracuse did. And Indiana is a really strong offense. And then flipping over to FSU, who isn't as good as they were last year. No. But that's still a quality ACC win. On the road, mind you. On the road. Thank you. Perfect segue. Syracuse broke FSU's 25-game home court winning streak in ACC play. 25 straight games that Florida State has won at home. Syracuse visited them, beat them. They also limited FSU to four from 30 from three. They also out-rebounded Florida State. There are so many different parts of Syracuse's game that are showing up at important times and that makes them dangerous to Villanova. It scares me that they out-rebounded FSU. It scares me that they played such good three-point defense because those are some of the things that Villanova has shown weaknesses about across the season so far. And they did so against FSU with Buddy Beheim, their best player, their best scorer, scoring six points. Yeah, so point. It's definitely, you know, uh, it's different. The Syracuse team is interesting because, as I said, I would have written them off uh, about a week and a half ago. But they're clearly the the last two, as we said, there's some life there. It's interesting because defensively, they've been pretty poor this season. I know, you know, Florida State holding the 60 is is a good number for them, but it's not. 112 isn't good. 110 isn't good. No, 100 to Colgate (laughs) at home is is unacceptable. Um, So uh, there's not a ton of quickness on Syracuse. Again, we talk about Chris Archdiakono. It, it could be a game where I actually think you'll see him do minutes because there's they're not a super athletic team. They're more mm-hmm. going to try and hurt you with their shooting rather than than getting into the lane and things like that. Uh, what's what is interesting to look at them for is that they are one of the few teams in the country that uses their bench less than Villanova. I was, uh, that was one of my points. There you go. To talk about. Yeah, they, they are right there. I mean, all five of their starters are averaging 10 points or more, but there is absolutely nothing from the bench. Yeah. So again, see if Villanova, maybe they do bring out a little bit of that press to try and wear Syracuse down because they know they're not going to get production from the bench. Just it's a bunch of different, interesting things to watch. Yeah. And the, the bottom line for that is <laughs> you can bring out as many guys as you want, but when you implement the two, three zone, as much as Bayheim does, defensive fatigue doesn't play as much of a factor as it certainly for Villanova, certainly which is interesting so you know this for anybody who's listening my aunt and uncle went to Syracuse and they have been huge fans since back when Syracuse was in the big east and that's why it's so funny that you were saying you would have written Syracuse off I never write Syracuse Ooh. off I always feel like they have it in them to pull off the game especially a game as big as Villanova they are without a doubt so hyped for this one especially at MSG but I asked my aunt and uncle if they had any points they were thinking about and my uncle had a really good one he said they've 
Syracuse has modified their their zone a little bit over the past few games. And he said it's something he hasn't seen ever. He can't ever remember this happening. And he's been watching Syracuse for 10 plus, 15 plus years. And it looks more like a 1-3-1 or a 1-1-3. And Bayheim hasn't necessarily been vocal about it, but they're just trying to mix things up on defense because at times they've been so burned by a guy running baseline and being able to score in the paint. I mm-hmm. wonder how that's going to translate when they're matching up against Villanova, because I actually think Villanova might thrive against a zone because they can play five out. They don't have to worry about getting any type of paint production. And I think the shooting is in a good place. And I might not have been that confident without that St. Joe's game, but that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see how Joe, Jim Beheim, Joe Beheim, how Jim Beheim is going to work this defense to try and limit the shooting because it is going to be a, onslaught of shooting from Villanova you I in my imagination is that you are going to see Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore basically trying to back down uh, most possessions to look for a kick out they're going to look to try and collapse that zone and, and find shooters and as you've said we have seen shooting improvement from it I think this is a game where you absolutely spotlight a guy like Colin Gillespie and see if they want to use him off ball a little bit a little bit to mm. try and run him into catch and shoot situations could certainly be something uh, you're hoping that Justin Moore can kind of get back to the, the three-point shooting that we've seen from him. I actually think it'll be really important if Caleb Daniels is feeling better just because what we've seen from him lately from deep, you know, being able to add another option here where our minds kind of both went to the same place. I think three-point shooting is going to be huge here for Villanova, and I do think it's where they're going to look. Yeah, they've also made the six most six most threes among Div- Divin one sorry, among division one's teams this year, that was uh, hard for me to get out, which really isn't that surprising. But when I saw sixth most, that was a little bit jarring for me. So they're going to be going back to that MO for sure. Another point is Syracuse isn't that big. They have their center, Jesse Edwards. He's six eleven. He's from the Netherlands. Other than that size disadvantage won't play too much of a factor in this game. And I think you bring up a really good point talking about how much of a factor Daniels could play in this game because he could be really physical against a guy like Swider or a guy like Joe Girard. All of these Syracuse players aren't known for their defense and that's why they play the zone. And that's why Swider has transitioned so well to that program because we know about the defensive struggles he had at Nova. But it'll be interesting to see if Jay Wright tries to collapse that zone or if instead it's just all those guys lining up and then Gillespie and Moore trying to kick. I mean, we might see Jermaine Samuels take six or seven threes. We might see Slater take six or seven threes. I expect it to be that type of game. I, I can see that too. You reference size, and, and you did reference him there. There is a six-nine forward on Syracuse that I think many Villanovans are very familiar with in Cole Swider. And of course, he is one of the main reasons why I think this game is so interesting mm-hmm. to watch Cole Swider and see kind of how he is in that new system. And you know, one of the things about him switching from Villanova to Syracuse, I, I've watched some of their games just to be able to watch Swider, but also just looking at his statistics shows how different of a situation he's in. And what I say about that is first off his minutes, he's averaging 33 minutes a game. Of course, he never featured anywhere close to as heavily uh, for Villanova. 11 field goal attempts per game as well as almost triple what he put up at Nova a year ago. Uh, defensively, we know what Cole Swider is, though he has been much better on the glass. Yes, that helps when you're in a zone and you're kind of more on the interior there. So he's been able to do that. But one thing I do want to look at for Swider, and I'm sure 
that this will completely turn around when he plays Villanova because, of course, it is. He's shooting 29% from three, which is obviously very, very poor. Even with that, he's scoring the basketball. He's at 13 points a game. I believe it was 16 points and 10 rebounds against Florida State to really help carry them over that important win. So Cole Swider, I mean, we kind of say it tongue-in-cheek, but he is he's part of why this game is so intriguing. You know, throwing the Madison Square Garden, throwing the fact it's an old Big East rival, throwing the fact you've got Bayheim. I'm pumped to see what Swider, what Villanova can do to defend Swider. And now we get to see a Villanova, of course, he's in a zone, but can Nova kind of use what they know about Swider defensively to exploit that? Oh, that's a really good point. I didn't even think of that, too. Those are really, really good points about Cole. And I, I noticed that right away about that three-point shooting, too. And that being said, he's still one of the top scorers on the team. Mm-hmm. He's leading this team in rebounds. He's found ways to take the jump. Talking about take Talk about taking the jump as a senior – Swider is really, really integral to this team. And I think this just goes into the offense Syracuse has in general. They've had wins where the trio of Buddy Beheim, Jim, Jimmy Beheim, Cole Swider, even Joe Girard, who's a really, really good shooter. One of those guys is off and the team can still find production around them. But it's pretty much if you're able to eliminate one of the Beheims and either Swider or Joe Girard, this team struggles to score. So I think Moore is going to have a big assignment. Gillespie is going to have a big assignment. One of Jermaine Samuels or Brandon Slater, if they can shut down one of those scores, that's going to be a huge advantage because otherwise it's not like Syracuse has any type of advantage in rebounding, even despite their size, they're not a very good rebounding team. On the other side, Villanova has shown a lot of prowess lately in offensive rebounding, something I'm excited for them to want to watch from them across these next couple of games chef's kiss on that point because you put me straight into my stat that i was waiting to use buddy Bayheim, jim jimmy Bayheim, and cole swider have scored 57 percent of syracuse points this season it comes from that trio so if they're able to cut into that in any way syracuse struggles a little bit one other thing i want to look at for him we kind of discussed it earlier in the week you know will jay wright get creative with his how he deploys brandon slater if oh. buddy Bayheim is causing a real issue and hitting from deep and using getting to the rim. Is he going to switch later onto it? You know, things like that. That's something I want to watch for to see if Villanova can be a little more flexible on defense and, and try things like that. And just one more point on Cole Swider, because I just, I have, to, it's, it's, I think it's very cool to look at kind of the differences as you see. And I, what it shows is how important program fit is to each player mm-hmm. and how they do. Cole Swider has 90 field goals attempted this season. That's 24 more than Jermaine Samuels has this year. Isn't that crazy to think about just with the the players, how we would think of the two going into it. It shows that really fit is everything. Yeah. And he got a lot of crap during really his entire time at Villanova and and not all of it was founded. I, I think people should be happy for him and how he's been able to fit at Syracuse. And it's, it's honestly fascinating to watch that. And it's fascinating to see what Quinterly is doing at Alabama too, mm-hmm. because every time I look at that box score or I read those recaps, it's just kind of shaking to see how good he is and how bad it was at Villanova and you're right program fit. And it goes back to the chemistry point I was making too. the smallest thing can really change how these guys play and being in this new system, having less emphasis on defense, being able to shoot and not have a leash and playing a lot of minutes, it's made Cole Swider into an entirely different player. Certainly has. So. so does he does he go off? Does he have his revenge game? No. Really? No. No confidence in Cole? No. I think he plays well. 
Okay. I think he hits a couple threes. A more important question. Who is going to have the home court advantage in this game at MSG? It's a tough one because Syracuse travels. We know Villanova also does great around the garden. I think people are going to be really excited on both sides to be able to get back and support your team in the garden. Yep. I'm not sure I can give you an answer for that one because I'm not sure. I think it's going to be really tight. It's going to be tight. It's going to be really tight. I actually, I'm going to give it to Villanova because I think in the past at MSG, it's basically been like a home court. They've the fans Mm -hmm. there are just insane, but Having Syracuse close. Yeah, I, I just love it. I, I love, I'm so excited to watch Beheim coach. I'm so excited to see Buddy Beheim see that zone again. It's been so long, the Big East play. It's just really cool. Yeah, let's do it. I, this has definitely been one that's been circled for a while to be able to relive an old rivalry here and can't wait to see it take place yeah. at the Garden. And it's personal for my family too. So thank you, Uncle Ken and Aunt Julie, for all those points. But I also hope that Villanova crushes Syracuse. Of course. I mean, that's, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) All right. Uh, I think we are ready to go into the Big East whip whip around. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. We we can go through this pretty quickly because I know we're getting on there. Um, But a look around the Big East as we like to do. Uh, It was a rough weekend for most of the conference here. Uh, St. John's lost to Kansas. They did put it within three at one point in the second half at UBS arena, but Kansas just really took off down the stretch in the battle of Chicago. DePaul was close, but they did fall to Loyola Uh, Marquette lost to Wisconsin Creighton lost to Iowa state. So a lot of losses over the weekend, uh, but to some, some very good opponents. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I have a couple points about Providence. They're going to be dangerous. Maybe that's my only point. No, they're better than I thought they were going to be. They are much better than I thought they were going to be. They got that big win over Texas Tech on Wednesday night. That was while we were recording, so we weren't able to talk about it at the time. They're just more versatile than a lot of people expected them to be, and Nate Watson isn't playing at the unanimous first-team All-Big East selection that we thought, and still Providence is able to get big wins. They might not make it into the tournament, they might crash and burn down the stretch like they usually do, but Ouch. they're da- <laughs> so, yeah, my mom is not going to like that at all. But they are they're tough out right now. They're a tough team to play. I would not want to play Syrac- uh, Providence right now. No Horkler, been yeah. very very impressive. That's definitely been the guy that has stood out to me whenever I've watched them uh, so far this season. And then as you were saying, big win uh, last week after we recorded. Yeah, and then and then another huge win, Xavier over Oklahoma State yes. by six. Colby Jones. Double, double. Straight stud. stud. Straight stud. And and for Xavier as well, that's their third quad one win of the year already, which leads all Big East teams. So Xavier, very, very deadly. I know Villanova and UConn are the ones that, of course, get most of the attention here in the Big East. But as we said, Xavier sitting there with three and one in the quad, three and one as a quad one record with wins over Ohio State, Virginia Tech, and Oklahoma State. That's serious. That's really serious. And they had high expectations and they're living up to them right now. And it's after all the weird stuff they went to last year. Is Fremantle even playing yet? Wait a second. He, oh, he, he played 19 minutes against Oklahoma state. He must've just come back because he's been hurt for a while. I didn't think he was going to come back or I guess it was December actually. And we're at the beginning of December, but they've been playing without him for the majority of this season. And they still have some serious wins on their resume. Yeah, still easing him back, but of course, as he gets up to speed, uh, it's a scary team. Very, very scary. Yeah. But overall, tough week, but I still think the Big East is in a good place. It it is in a good place. Uh, Other ones quickly to note, St. John's beat Fordham. Why do I say that? 
because of course Villanova assistant Kyle Neptune is at mm. Fordham. He's actually got Fordham off to a decent start to the season. I believe they're six and four. So of course it takes a little bit of time to build foundation and build a program, but Neptune there uh, playing against a big East rival. Uh, and then some other games, at least to look at early in the week, because we know that there are some bigger games, of course, down the stretch, but we'll talk about that on Thursday's episode. Butler plays Oklahoma mm. on Tuesday night, same time as Villanova. And then one I'm excited to watch, UConn takes it on the road to West Virginia on Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Even Marquette, Kansas State has the potential to be a good game. All these, sure. all these Big 12 matchups, I'm excited. UConn just needs more tests because they're just steamrolling everybody they play out of conference right now or the, the non marquee games. And I think this is important for Butler to establish itself because we've seen a lot of different versions of Butler so far, and I'm not even sure which one to put stock into right now. So yeah. maybe after this game, we'll see who they really are. Maybe it's definitely a good opportunity for them. The, the yeah. question with them is always, can they score? So we'll see. And Oklahoma's a really good team. So we shall see. And then we've got two questions here to hit before we wrap it up. Yeah, start us off. I don't have the the exact wording in front of me, do you? I do, I do. So we usually are going to do our mailbags on Thursday, but we had one missed question from last week. And then, of course, Jerry Quinn sent in a question. We always got to help our man Jerry out. So (laughs) once we saw those questions, had to do it. First question from Jerry. Are we satisfied with the play of Jermaine Samuels heading into MSG? Yeah, so I, I saw this question as I was prepping Jerry, and I think it's a really good one. And it's something I was going to, and I did bring up on its own anyway. I think the answer should be no, because we know the ceiling of Samuels and I don't think he's been anywhere close to it. When he plays well on offense, this offense is elevated to a new level. I think Syracuse could actually be the perfect time for him to step up because he's going to have the chance to take a lot of shots and he just hasn't been taking Mm -hmm. a lot of shots. Maybe it's him trying to figure out how he fits into this offense, but I don't think that's something he should be doing right now. I think he should be taking control and making shots for himself and driving to the rim because he's so strong at that. And I don't know, there's there's been a little little bit of a a disconnect between the play that we expect and the play that we're seeing so far. What do you think about that? So if you just look straight at the numbers, you'd say he's probably doing pretty well because he's shooting 52% from the field and 37% from deep, which is of course very strong numbers. But To your point, I want to see Jermaine Samuels be more aggressive. I want to see him be more ingrained in the offense. I want to see him, you know, taking those drives and using that body and using the strength around the rim that we know that he does so well. He's just, he's not doing it as often as I would thought he would. So I'd like to see more from him in, in that instance, but. And if you looked at the over underlying numbers and you just looked at that, you'd say, oh, he's probably doing great. But I, I think there's another level that he can tap into. True. And I don't have the box scores for the first two games up in front of me, but against LaSalle and Penn, I'm pretty sure he was two for six from the floor. And then against St. Joe's, he was three for five. And that's mm-hmm. just a that, that's just a really low number for him. He usually takes a lot more field goals than that. We don't want him leading the team in nope. field goal attempts, obviously, but he can be more efficient than that. And And you're right. It takes watching him to know that as opposed to just seeing the box score. So I thought that was a really good question from Jerry. Certainly was such an important player, such a good defender as exactly. well. And, and exactly. rebounder just, I, I think there's a little more that he can tap into on yeah. offense. Question two goes to our Syracuse preview and goes to our friend Cole Swider as well. Who do you think is going to earn the assignment of guarding Cole Swider on Tuesday night? You take this one first. I'm curious. I'm curious too. I think Jermaine Samuels is going to be okay. a guy that they throw out there 
a lot just to kind of exploit that length. Again, like we go to athleticism and such. I would prefer to save Slater for a guy that's going to move around a little bit more. Um, so I, I wouldn't put him there. I honestly wouldn't be shocked as well if you saw Archie Diakono end up out there at some point, and even Justin Moore as well as we've seen Villanova. Of course, they rely heavily on the switch. So I, I think it's even tough to fully go with a man-on-man matchup. But if I had to answer one, I believe they'll at least start with Jermaine Samuels near him. Yeah, that seems like the safe option. It's so funny too. And you, you summarized this so perfectly before. The cold that we saw at Villanova would not merit a Brandon Slater or even a Jermaine no. Samuels. The cold that's the cold that he is at Syracuse is a really lethal scorer at times that can get a lot done. And that might merit a Samuels or a Daniels or a Slater. I agree with you. I think at least at first you're going to see Slater more attached to Bayheim and Gerard because those guys are much more athletic than Cole is. But that being said, if he starts shooting the lights out, we might see some sort of switch. I, I hope we see some sort of adjustment because that's going to be necessary because if Syracuse comes out shooting well, I do believe that this can be a closer game than people mm-hmm. might think. I do really respect your confidence in Swider that you think he can be a lethal <laughs> scorer because I don't. I, I think this is going to be more the Bayheims and Gerard, but we'll see if Swider's able to tap into it and and hit that scoring, especially from deep, whereas we've talked about he's been poor from this year. I think they're well-rounded. I, th- I really do think Syracuse's offense is well-rounded. They're 17th overall. That's not a fair Oh, they can have. score. Absolutely. Yeah, they- They have issues on the other side of the ball, and it's so frustrating to watch them at times because they just choke towards the end of games. But it's the same way that why they were so successful in the tournament last year. Bayheim is one of the best offensive players in the country. I really do believe that. And when Mm -hmm. he's on, it's going to be tough. We we might see Slater on him because he's going to be the quickest, putting the most shots up, needing the most support. And hopefully none of these guys run into foul trouble as well. Oh, that's a key. That is certainly a key. Last question from him. I love this question. Uh, When is it too cold or too warm for an outdoor fire pit to be used? I have a really hot take. And I didn't know I felt this until I saw the question. I don't think it ever is. I think it's kind of a vibe to have a fire pit in the summer. Is that crazy? You got to stop this. We can't agree on everything on this episode. We're going to, we're going to have to burn the tape. Um, No, I, (laughs) I love, I'm a huge fire pit guy. Uh, Love fire pits. And I feel the same way, you know, yes, it's great for that fall weather and and into the winter. I'm not sure it ever gets too cold. You know, you can bundle up and sit around a nice outdoor fire pit. And then yes, in the summer, my family has done it many times. We can be in the middle of the middle of July. And especially as it gets to nighttime, we always turn that or turn that fire pit on. We always start a fire in the Fire, yeah yeah you, you're you guys have the real wood you don't even have the electric we do real wood wow good way, for to, you. way to go dad that's incredible i i would go as far as to say i would enjoy a summer fire pit more than a winter fire pit it's there's like some awesome nights cold yeah deep cold that's so much it's not even warming you up that much you got to walk back in your coat the whole thing fire at, in the summer is kind of a vibe it's it's awesome. I, yeah. I would say big big fan of it. So love the question, Cherry. Thanks yeah, for thanks, asking. Cherry. Good one. <laughs> Always go with that fire pit. Never be ashamed <laughs> of it. Uh, and then we have one more. I actually don't have it in front of me, but I kind of know the gist of it. It's from Rob, who has tweeted us many times, and we thank you, Rob, for your questions. We did just miss it last week because we had already wrapped up recording by the time it came in. But a little bit on your Spotify wrapped. I know we touched on it last week, so we'll we'll go through this quick. And what is your musical guilty pleasure? 
Yeah, I hope people still love Pat, even though he listens to From Now On from The Greatest Showman. I think that was a a truly vulnerable moment and you owned it. And I love that. Uh, So just to, we're just, I'll just say my artists, I guess. Is that what you were going to say? Yep. Yeah. So Taylor Swift is my top. I had two of her songs in my top five. And then in no particular order, Thomas Rhett, Luke Combs, and Morgan Wallen rounded up my top five. Sweet. I like it a lot. A lot of country. Yeah, same here. Uh, I will defend myself very quickly first because I, I think you may think, what the heck with the from now on? Uh, I don't really listen to like go to a song or, or go to specific types of songs. I just have one big playlist that is 40 hours long. Really? And I, That's and, how you listen. And I hit shuffle and go. So it's not my most played song was that. I think it was played like 25 times. So wow. that, just, yeah, that just shows. So it's a little different when I look at my top music, which is why I go to the artists a little more <laughs> to be reflective of what I listen to. And Imagine Dragons was one because of course they were they always will be and then zach brown band kenny chesney luke combs and thomas rett snuck in there at five which i wasn't expecting interesting i love him yeah Yeah. no i think it's so funny that that was your top song and that's so different because i am the complete opposite i have playlists i don't have i don't even look at my like songs i just do totally the stuff that i'm listening to at the time i listen to all too well which is my top song i think 81 times so to put that in perspective of our listening our listening uh (laughs) You know, that's, that's funny. Yeah. Um, okay. And my musical guilty pleasure. I don't know if anyone's going to be surprised by this. I really like show tunes. So I'll just, if I have a long car ride, I'll just play the Hamilton soundtrack from beginning to end, or I'll just play Dear Evan Hansen or Wicked. And I don't particularly find that a guilty pleasure. Cause I think it's awesome music and I would kill to go see Hamilton on Broadway but then also like Mambo Number no. Five, you know, that's oh, a that's, great song. That's fantastic. <laughs> Maybe that's what gu- a better guilty pleasure. <laughs> I would say I don't. I feel like I don't have to answer this because we talked about Greatest Showman and from now yeah. on a, a week ago. But I give you my fullest support on Hamilton. I'm a big Hamilton supporter. I yeah. actually did see Hamilton. Oh, um, live. I'm so jealous. It is incredible. If you haven't seen it live, go watch it on Disney Plus. Because I was incredible. just gonna say, yeah, that's a pretty good second option for for those not making it out to Broadway to be able to watch it on Disney Plus. Absolutely. Look at us expanding. You know, we're we're gonna give you a bunch of college basketball breakdowns, but we'll also talk a little bit about Hamilton. I know we're so cultured and, and the greatest showman, because as much as you're embarrassed about it, the greatest showman is awesome. And I am not upset at all that it's your top and it doesn't even really count because it's the remade by Zach Brown. Who exactly. Is such a right. Mainstream band anyway. So exactly. It's all relative, Pat. Don't worry about it. It's all relative. Yeah, exactly. But all right. that'll do it for us. That was a fun one. We were really excited to bring everyone that episode. But as I said, that will do it for us on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VU Hoops for some articles. We've got some takeaways on the Villanova St. Joe's game, as well as, of course, the game recap, and they'll have some Syracuse content up as you listen to this and more throughout the week. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a rating as well, as that really helps us out. Go Cats! Everyone enjoy being back at Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night. And Nova Nation, that's a wrap.